think of some of the most annoying behaviors that a person can do, uh, I wonder what comes to your mind. The most annoying behaviors. Now, I tweeted this out and put it on Facebook this week to see what kind of response I would get. What are the most annoying behaviors? And some of you are looking around at each other and thinking, <laughs> I'm going to raise my hand and tell him what you do that's most annoying. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, some of the folks responded uh, things like popping or chewing gum loudly. Maybe you just, oh, just drives me up the wall. Uh, I had several responses for uh, w- what's annoying is when people are close talkers. You know what I mean? Like you just get right up on somebody. You're just going to talk to them. Oh, I had several folks, give me some space. Maybe you're a person who likes some space. One person who said they, were, they, they don't like close talkers are people who touch their hair. Get off my hair. Leave me now see it, that, you know, doesn't bother. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I had too many people, you know, pulled it all out. Uh, somebody said, um, if you're, maybe you're on Facebook, um, somebody said one of their, one of their annoying things, uh, one of the things that annoys them is when people share too much information on something like Facebook, which is, uh, which is prevalent. Um, people who use their phones while standing in line and then hold everybody up because they're still looking and the line's moved on. Uh, that was one that, that folks shared. Uh, somebody shared uh, people who interrupt you while you're talking and then they won't shut up. You know, which, you know, of course, it's like, you can take that both ways. Maybe they thought you were talking too much. You know, I don't know. Um, one person said, this is good, people who say, uh-huh, and yeah, they're in a conversation but couldn't repeat a word of what you just said. They're just going right along with you. Uh-huh, yeah, all right. Yeah. They, you know, you could ask them what you just said. They wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. I found some other lists uh, just in general. Maybe you can relate to these, some annoying behaviors. When a person leaves wet towels on the floor. Or maybe just leaving clothes all over the floor. Refusing to replace an empty toilet paper roll. <laughs> or maybe you're a person who likes the toilet paper to come from over the top, and they put it from the bottom all the time. <sighs> maybe, maybe this annoys you. Somebody said exaggerating stories. You know, I, 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 I tell people regarding my baseball career, the older I get, the better I was. Exactly right. <clears throat> Somebody said reading emails during a conversation. You got your phone and you're just sitting there looking. Now, listen, I'm guilty of that from time to time. My wife tells me so. Uh, not signaling to turn or change lanes when you're driving or then leaving the turn signal on. You ever been behind somebody on the highway and the turn signal is just on? They're over in the left-hand lane. And where are you going to go? You got your left turn signal on. Are you going to the median? Where are you heading? You know, and then you get it behind them and you're trying to mess with them and turn it on. And then you get over in front of them, turn it on and see if they, you know. Uh, self-portraits on Facebook. You got your picture and you're taking your picture in the mirror. Those of you on Facebook, you've seen tons of those. That was one that people listened. Or begging for attention with some kind of status update. Or posting a rant about someone without using their name on Facebook or something like that. Then at the office, maybe you, maybe you go to an office every day. These were some that were listed, I found, bringing smelly food into the office. And it just fills up the whole place. Uh, unsolicited humming. You're just there in your cubicle and just happy. Or somebody next to you is just so happy and you're just, you know, just driving you up the wall. Um, or being the king of email forwards. You just get some forward and you're just going to send it out to everybody. That's... That's the way it is. You think about annoying behaviors, and, and, and it directly relates to what we're going to look at in the Scripture this morning. This sermon really is, is for those, uh, maybe you come today and, and you really do see the sad state that our world is in. And beyond that, you see the sad state that, that in general, the church is in. 
Maybe you see that. <clears throat> or maybe, maybe you're a person this morning and, and you've come and, and, and just deep in your heart, you really want the church to follow Jesus Christ and to follow him alone. That's the cry of your heart. Maybe, maybe you're a person, you feel like you're the only one who's giving everything to Jesus Christ. You're annoyed by those who don't. Maybe you're frustrated by the lack of love for Jesus that you see in the world or in the church. Or maybe you're tired of seeing churches go around in circles and never really fulfill their mission, never really fulfill the will of God for them. Maybe, maybe you're a person who's here and you're confused by the seemingly endless list of rules and regulations that you find in religion. Maybe you come this morning and you feel like you're on the outside looking in at the church. This is a message for you, and I hope you'll see Jesus through it. Uh, there's, there's, there's something that's very obvious from Scripture that I want to give you just sort of as a theme uh, to put in your mind and to think about as we walk through the Scripture this morning. It's obvious in Scripture that Jesus himself, Jesus was a thorn in the side of the religious establishment. And beyond that, he did it on purpose. I don't know if you realize that about Jesus, but if you read just even in Mark chapter 1 through chapter 3, you're going to get the idea that Jesus was a thorn in the side of those in the religious establishment. He annoyed them to no end. He was an annoying person to them. And he did it on purpose. In fact, he's beyond annoying, as we'll see at the close of this particular passage of Scripture. You don't just plot to kill anybody who's annoying. And yet that's what happens to Jesus. The scripture that we'll see today shows sort of the culmination of several episodes where Jesus intentionally, on purpose, annoys and provokes those who were the religious leaders of his day. When I say religious establishment, I just mean those who were in power of the religion, Jewish religion, at the time. Look with me in Mark chapter 3. If you've got a Bible today, turn there, and I uh, want to show you what we're talking about. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, they, the Pharisees, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with a paralyzed hand, stand before us. And then he said to, him, to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Jesus here is intentionally provoking the Pharisees. He did that really through chapter 1 through the first part of chapter 3. He encounters them, and instead of backing down, instead of sort of going around them and doing some things where they maybe couldn't see him, in full view of all the Pharisees, and on purpose, Jesus does things to provoke them. In a sense, he's leaving wet towels on the floor. He's the guy who refuses to replace the empty toilet paper roll. And he does it on purpose just to get a reaction from them. He talks with his mouth full, so to speak, and it drives the people crazy. He intends to provoke and to annoy them, but it's not just to be a pest. I don't want you to leave today thinking, well, Jesus was just kind of a joker and just kind of a pest, and he, he just aggravated people. That, that's not what Jesus was about. He had a specific reason for why he provoked a response from them, far greater reasons than just being a pest. 
I want to give you today the why and the how, and then some some ways that you can go from here. And when you interact with these so-called religious people who might resist you, what can you do? Why did Jesus provoke them? Why was he such a thorn in their side? Well, the first thing is that he might display his authority. To display his authority. These people during that time, and we today, needed to know who he was, what he could do, and what he was about. And so he, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, he displays his authority to forgive sins. He could have very easily just told the man who was paralyzed, get up. But he tells him, your sins are forgiven. He's provoking the Pharisees to, to think something in their hearts, and they do. He wants to show them, look, I have the authority to forgive sins. Then in the next passage, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, he wants to show them he has the authority as a rabbi to eat with the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, don't think for a second that Jesus wasn't looking at the reaction of the Pharisees to also teach his disciples about what's going on, to show the contrast between what Jesus was about and what the religious establishment was about. He also would show in chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, that he had the authority to put fasting on hold for a time. They come to him and say, uh, John's disciples fast. The disciples of the Pharisees, they fast. They, they refrain from food for a certain period of time. Why don't your disciples well, Jesus would tell them, look, I have the authority to set that aside for a time while I'm here. You don't know who you're dealing with, he would say. He also, in chapter 2, verses 23 to 28 that we saw last week, his authority meant that he was in charge of the Sabbath. What did he say? Even the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then today we see that Jesus will display his authority, showing that he has the right to heal on the Sabbath, to do something good. And it's through his authority that we learn his identity. He is God who forgives sins. They say only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, absolutely, your sins are forgiven because he is God. He's the doctor who heals the spiritually sick. He is the, the groom who pursues the bride that he loves. He's Lord and King who's in control of all things. So he's trying to display his authority. And so he does that by provoking these different conversations and responses. He also provokes them and is a thorn in their side to reveal the heart of God. He wants to reveal the heart of God. You know, God's concern is more for your obedience and your love for Him than for just some mindless and heartless ritual that you'll go through, than for you just doing a certain checklist worth of religious things. This may be news to you. This may be offensive to you. I don't know. But God is more concerned about your heart and you loving and being obedient to Him than if you just simply mindlessly and heartlessly show up at church. Now, you're here this morning and say, well, you don't want me to come to church. Now, that's not my point. But I hope you come to church out of a love for God, not because it's just something you check off your list each week. Because if you're just checking it off your list each week, what's the point? That's not what God is looking for. From Old Testament to New, he says, I desire obedience, not just a mere sacrifice. What had happened was the people just started going through the motions. In the Old Testament, they just sacrificed animals. And this is what we do. We just sacrifice the animals. God will be okay with it, and we move on. And he says, what are you doing? I want your obedience. I want your heart. That's the heart of God is to get to our hearts. So Jesus here is revealing the heart of God. His concern is not for just ritual in a mindless and heartless way. These Pharisees just went through the motions, and boy, they did it well. They looked as if their hearts were really in it, but Jesus would say, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Just going through the motions is not what God wants for us. He, Jesus revealed the, the heart of God through going to the spirit of the law rather than just the letter 
of the law. They said, well, you, you, can't, do, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you don't even get what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. Jesus took them back to the heart of God on all these things. He said the laws of God are meant for a blessing, not to be a burden. You guys have got it backwards, he said to the Pharisees. He also showed that the heart of God is for love and compassion to those who needed the touch of God. And he's like this man here in chapter 3 with the paralyzed hand. He wants to display his authority, he wants to reveal the heart of God, and he also is trying to unveil the hearts of the Pharisees. He's unveiling the hearts of the Pharisees. You see, they, they wanted power. And when Jesus showed up on the scene and taught, Scripture says here in Mark, with authority, unlike their scribes, they're threatened. He has true power and true authority. They wanted to use Scripture as a club to beat people over the head. You been there before? You ever had somebody beat you over the head with Scripture? Doesn't feel good. They just keep whipping on you over and over and over again, telling you to get in line, and you do this and you do that. And that's what the Pharisees were about. We've probably all been guilty of doing that from time to time. But that's what they lived on. They labeled people. Over here you had the clean. The, the ritualistic, clean people who did all the things right religiously that you were supposed to do. And you know who they considered most clean? Themselves. And over here, you have the unclean. Those who, for whatever reason, by fault or no fault of their own, did not or could not keep the law according to the Pharisees, and they like those labels. You got us and you got them. And it's sort of us against them, they would say, and they like to label people. Jesus, through what he does, unveils this heart. They would inflict shame on those who did not measure up to their standards. Shame on you, they would say. What's wrong with you? Why don't you get in line and do what God would have you to do? They would inflict shame. They desired the appearance of being religious. They forgot that God sees the heart. You been there? You ever tried to keep up appearances? I, I, I've been there. I, I just admit to you, as the pastor, sometimes it's real tempting just to kind of keep up the appearance that I'm really religious. You know, I show up, and boy, you know, my tie is just going to be just exactly right the way it should be, and, you know, I can't fix my hair anymore. But, you know, I, I would try that stuff, too, and make sure that everything's going. You know, and, and, and then to appear and talk in such language that you would be really impressed by how religious I am. You been there? You ever, you ever done that? No, Y'all not honest enough to admit it, are you? Now see, you're a bunch of liars, all right? I know you've been there. I know you've done that. Listen, it's an easy trap to fall into just to have the appearance that we're religious. Jesus was taking the lid off of that and said, look, the Pharisees just want to appear that they're religious, but, but don't forget, God sees the heart. The questions and the statements that Jesus gives unveils their hearts. If you want to write down these, these references, uh, in Mark chapter 1 through chapter 3, verses 2 through, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2 rather, verses 8 and 9. He would say to them when they're asking, why in the world is he doing this, saying this man is, has his sins forgiven? Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus would say, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher and walk? Jesus constantly opens their hearts and unveils them. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. The statement he makes. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners, they ask in verse 16. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's taking the lid off of their hearts. And then in verse 19, 
Why do your disciples not fast, they said. The wedding guests cannot fast when the groom is with them, can they? You guys don't get it, he says. You're not understanding the true heart. Verse 25, they say, why, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He says, have you not read the scripture? What David did when he was in need and, and was hungry? Guys, you, you, you're missing the point. He said he's unveiling their hearts. And then in chapter 3, verse 4, he says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? Just ask these prodding questions to reveal what's really going on inside of their hearts. Jesus was a thorn in their side to display his authority, to show us who he really was. To reveal the heart of God that's compassionate and loving toward those far from Him. To unveil the hearts of the Pharisees. And also to fulfill His mission. The mission of Jesus was to bring the grace, the love, the forgiveness of God down to us because we could not achieve it on our own. Trying to bring new life to those who are far from God. Jesus came to break down the old systems of religion and to establish a new covenant based upon His blood alone. And given those, those objectives, this, this annoyance of the religious establishment was inevitable. They're going in two different directions. In fact, they're, they're actually heading, I suppose, in the same direction toward one another in a giant crash. And Jesus knew his mission was one of grace and love and compassion and sacrifice for the sins of mankind. It was inevitable then that he would have, based upon that mission, conflict. And that he would annoy those people. That's why he did it. He didn't do it just to be a pest. You see his reasons. They're extremely godly and noble. To have his authority displayed. To reveal who he is. To reveal the heart of God. To, to take off the lid on the hearts of the Pharisees. And show them where they had gone wrong. And then to fulfill his mission. He could not have done it any other way. Those are the reasons why. But you think about how Jesus went about annoying and provoking a response from these particular religious leaders. There are some things that I, I hope you'll take as, as sort of marching orders, so to speak, from the Lord as we follow His example. The first of which is to devalue human traditions and rules. This is a tough one. In fact, this, this whole sermon uh, is a tough one. Because for many of us, it will hit very, very close to home. To devalue human traditions and rules. They say to him, why do you eat with sinners? Why don't you fast? Why do you break the Sabbath? You know, the Pharisees saw all of those things as the path to God. Well, if you'll do these things, then obviously you're going to please God. That, that's, that's what you should do. Jesus saw all of them as a roadblock. Because they stood in the way of, of them going through him to get to God. Jesus knew, and he would say in John chapter 14, that he was the way, the path. But the religious leaders saw Jesus as the roadblock. Jesus didn't concern himself with the traditions that people had established. What he concerned himself with was the things that were closest to the heart of God. Not always is there a huge difference. Not always. But in some cases, and in his interactions with the Pharisees, there were often great differences between the traditions, the institutions they had established, and what really was close to the heart of God. 
Jesus was there to devalue the human traditions and elevate himself as primary over all things. Unfortunately, I really believe, maybe you see it, in our world, in our churches, in our communities, that the mindset of the Pharisees is unfortunately alive and well in our world today, in many of our churches today, in many communities today. And the results, unfortunately, produce a boring, rules-based, going-in-circles, life-draining form of church and religion. That's not what Jesus came to produce in us, is a boring, rules-based, going-around-in-circles, life-draining form of walking with him. That's not what he came for. He came to bring us life, to make us new. So if we're experiencing a boring, rules-based, life-draining, going-around-in-circles form of religion or church, we have drifted from where Jesus wants us to be. To mirror the methods of Jesus Christ, which we would all agree, I could go to every single person, we'd all agree, I think we should be like Jesus Christ. I think we would all agree with that. But in order to do that, we've got to realize that his methods were cutting edge. He was different. He was creative. He brought a new thing. It was all because he was there to fulfill his mission for the Father. You devalue human traditions and rules. And in so doing, you secondly lead with grace, love, and compassion. Verses 1 through 3 of Mark chapter 3. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, look what the Pharisees are doing. They were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with a paralyzed hand, stand before us. Basically what Jesus says is, come out, stand right in the middle of all of us. Now you picture this guy with a paralyzed hand. It's probably not something he's real proud of. His hand is withered and shriveled up, and he can't use it. The muscles, the nerves, all that stuff, they, they don't work anymore. And he's there in the synagogue for whatever reason. The Pharisees are using him to accuse Jesus. They don't care about him. They're using him to accuse Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, stand right up in the middle. You talk about a scary moment. What's this guy going to do? This is a rabbi here. Now, hold, what, what's he going to do? To, why is he asking me to stand up in the middle of everyone? What's amazing is that Jesus here is not going to condemn him in any way. He's not going to have a conversation with him about what happened to you and so on and so forth. Jesus simply leads with grace, with love, with compassion, which was his pattern through these whole chapters right here. He eats with sinners. He healed the sick. He touched the lepers. He cast out the demons. And he speaks to the man with the paralyzed hand in this particular story. He's proactive in taking his grace and his love and his compassion where it's needed most. He doesn't wait for an opportunity. He creates those opportunities. And he never wants, and I love this about Jesus, he never once cut off the ears of the sinners before they could hear the message. Never once. And people flock to him. People flocked to Jesus. The, the Bible tells us that, that his appearance would not have been something people flocked to. It doesn't tell us that he was hideous looking or anything like that, but that he was just an average looking kind of person. He would not have been featured in any sort of magazines for clothing and fashion and bodybuilding and so on and so forth. He was just an average looking kind of guy. And yet people flocked to him. 
His personality probably had a lot to do with that. He knew how to deal with people. But he even would tell them some very difficult things. And yet people still came to him. Why? i got to believe at least in part it's because he led with grace. And oh, how people need grace in our world today. If you've ever been on the flip side and not received grace, then you understand just how important it is. People need love. Some come today feeling so unloved and so useless. Jesus led with love, and people flocked to him. He led with compassion. It says he looks out over the crowds in the New Testament, and he sees them as, as sheep without a shepherd. His heart goes out to them, and he responds in compassion. We desperately need the grace, the love, the compassion of Jesus Christ. You don't see people flocking to the Pharisees, though. Contrast is pretty stark. They flock to Jesus Christ. The sinners do. But they don't flock to the Pharisees. In fact, they say, here's a new guy with authority. Let's go listen to him. Let's go talk to him. But what's amazing to me in all of that is that Jesus, in order to draw the crowds, in order to reach the crowds and so on, he never once compromised his holiness for any of that to happen. You may say, well, I guess in order to reach those kind of people, I need to get out there and do what they do a little bit. Kind of experience life the way they live it. Jesus never experienced life the way that, that sinners lived it. But they flocked to him because he led with grace and with love and with compassion. I would challenge you to do the same thing in your own life. To lead with grace and love and compassion. And then thirdly, to get involved with the realities and the needs of those people. Of those People. You know who I'm talking about. People like this guy in this story. Man with a withered hand who's different. We don't quite understand what's happened to him. We, we don't quite know what's going on in this particular person's life. Those people. Jesus got involved with the realities and the needs of those people. He calls a tax collector named Levi to be his disciple. He eats with the sinners and the tax collectors. He interacts with the sick, the demon-possessed. He touches those who have leprosy. And he interacts here and gets involved with this man with a paralyzed hand. The Pharisees, you understand, feared contamination. They thought that, that if they got close to anybody like that, they would mess them up. They forgot the commandment about loving your neighbor. And instead, they just separated completely. The Pharisees ignored the realities and needs of people. Jesus, in verse 3, says, stand before us. Think about it. Here's this paralyzed guy over here, paralyzed hand, and he's sitting over here, and all the Pharisees are milling around a little bit, and Jesus walks in. And Mark says, by the way, there's a guy with a paralyzed hand. The Pharisees pay no attention to him other than to see, will Jesus heal him? And then, ah, ha, ha, we got it. They don't care that he has a paralyzed hand, that he's in need of healing. Jesus calls him front and center and makes all the Pharisees look at him. Jesus doesn't pretend that the needs and realities of people are not there. He gets the guy out in the center, and he says to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill? What do the Pharisees say? No. They're silent. They don't want to be face-to-face -face with the reality that here's a man who actually needs the healing touch of Jesus Christ. 
They want him over to the side. They want to deal with those people. The love that Jesus had for his heavenly father was expressed in his ministry to the weak and to the marginalized, to those who could not help themselves. You realize it's not in the Bible? It does not say anywhere in the Bible that God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. In fact, God helps those who cannot help themselves. And praise God that he does. Jesus went to those who were weak and marginalized because they could not help themselves. The Pharisees said, you help yourself and then we'll jump in. That's not the ministry of Jesus. He brings these realities, these needs of people front and center. And the Pharisees stuck their heads in the sand and they were silent. They didn't want to realize what people really were going through. It's awful easy in our world today. And, and trust me, I struggle with it. I work at the church. It's, re it's real easy for me to see only church people through the week. Only my family and only the church people. It's real easy to do that. So if, so if that's you saying, you know, golly, yeah, I see where those people are there, but I don't know what to do. I understand it's real easy. But we cannot stick our heads in the sands and, and pretend as if people are out there uh, that they don't exist. That there aren't poor people in our world. That there aren't people who are sick. There aren't people who truly need help. We can't pretend that they don't exist. Or if we do, then we're just like these Pharisees. I really believe that every Christian and every church must come to a point where it makes a choice. We can either get involved with the realities and the needs of those people, or we can stick our heads in the sand. We can remain silent, and we can pretend like they don't exist. I can tell you what Jesus would have to say. Stand before us, he says. Let's everybody be aware of what's truly out there. He got involved with those people. And also, he, he let his emotions lead to godly actions. Verse 5 of chapter 3. After he asked them the question and they remained silent, it says, After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. He looks at them with anger and with sorrow at the hardness of their hearts. They were indifferent to the suffering of those people. They were stubborn, refusing to receive Jesus Christ. They were more concerned, get this, on the Sabbath in the synagogue, more concerned to accuse Jesus than to worship God. They're not there to worship. They're there to catch him doing something wrong. They were willing to do nothing for this man who was in need, which Jesus equated with doing evil and murder. To do nothing, Jesus said, is the equivalent of doing evil, the equivalent of murder. They were obstinate. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. They were callous. Their hearts had calluses on them. They're blind to their own condition, and they're insensitive to the condition of others. They're unwilling to embrace the new work that God was doing. Completely inflexible. They would say, if it doesn't fit into our system, we reject it. Jesus, in response to them, is angry. It's okay to be angry. You may see things in this world that make you angry. And I hope you do. I know I do. Some things that just get me so fired up. I'm so angry that those kind of things are allowed to happen. Jesus is angry. And he's sorrowful. 
with anger and sorrow, it says he looks at them because of the hardness of their hearts. And yet he tells the man, stretch out your hand. He let his emotions lead him to godly action. Jesus looked around and he demonstrates for us that a human need is a moral imperative. Something has to be done. Jesus didn't look at the guy and say, all right, go ahead and sit down. I've proven my point. He heals the man. You realize the true test of theology and morality? In many cases, often comes down to simply, do you love God? Do you love others? Do you love those who are weak and most defenseless? We can talk about religious things all day long, but if we don't demonstrate and truly show a love for God and love for others, we're just talking. Jesus' anger was a means for motivation to do good, to protect. He didn't reject the law here about the Sabbath, but he looked behind it. He saw the principles. And he says, guys, look, I'm doing something new. We're, re we're retaining all the principles, and here's how it applies today. I wonder what makes you angry. I wonder what brings you sorrow. And I wonder if in those emotions, does it produce in you a godly action and response? How, if you're going to be like Jesus, let me tell you something, you'll encounter these religious people who will be resistant to your desire to love Jesus and live him out. Uh, that's going to happen. If you truly are going to submit your life to Jesus Christ, not everybody's going to be on board with that. And sadly, not everybody in the church is going to be on board with that. That's just the facts. So how do you respond then to religious people who say, oh, hold on now, not get carried away. Take it easy just a little bit. Now, I, I like Jesus too, but hold on. Now, let's, let's relax. Just How do you respond to those who would you would say would be more like the Pharisees? You will encounter them. Maybe it's at home. Maybe you're a young person and you live at home and your folks are nice people and good folks and, and, and they maybe even come to church with you. And, and yet you, you know that it's time for you to give your life wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ and your parents are like, you know, that's good, but I, I don't know. You know, if you feel called, you want to go on a mission trip somewhere. You say, well, you know, my parents aren't real for that. How are you going to do when, it, when you encounter this at home? What about at church? And there are some of you who are so on fire right now for the Lord, and you're bumping against it here at the church. What are you going to do? Maybe at school. School starts again in, what, a month and a half now? How exciting. <laughs> parents are like yes teachers are thinking oh my gosh don't tell me that and the kids are no you know school's going to start soon you're going to bump into religious people who will act one way at church and around their church friends in a totally different way at school ain't going to respond to them what about at work some of you work with folks who if you told your stories about what they did and how they talked and the way that they joked around and so on, and you revealed their names, we'd be shocked. We would be floored. No way. That person, boy, they, they, they're involved in the church. They do this and they do that. We'd be shocked. And you said, no, no, they're just religious. How are you going to respond to them? What about in the community? You know, in communities like Murray, and many communities across our country, you know, most folks are okay with you being religious. They really are. That helps the community. Nothing wrong with that. But most folks that would be okay with you being religious aren't okay with you truly loving Jesus. That changes the ballgame. How are you going to respond? You'll encounter those people. First thing.
expect great opposition. Expect great opposition. You realize that the Pharisees went from silent accusation in chapter 2 to questioning him toward the end of chapter 2 to plotting his death by chapter 3, verse 6. If you are going to truly live for Jesus, you better expect some great opposition, even from people who are religious. Don't get carried away, I tell you. What's he up to? I don't know about that. That's a little bit extreme. They begin to question. What's, what's your motive here? What are you trying to do? Are you, are you trying to just run everything? What, what, what's going on? The outright plotting to say, I don't think we're going to go that way. Expect great opposition. Secondly, don't be afraid of them. I love chapter 3, verse 1. Now he entered the synagogue, what? Again. He entered the synagogue again. You know where Jesus had the problems? You know where the religious people were who gave him a hard time? In the synagogue. And he entered the synagogue again. That's great. He wasn't afraid of them. Not for a second. He knew their accusations. He knew and had responded to their questioning. He knew they were going to plot against him. But in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Stretch out your hand, and it was restored amazing he knew what was going on but he stood in the grace and the power of his heavenly father he wasn't afraid of them and then finally don't let them stop you i don't know who the religious people are in your life at your homes your school your work wherever i I don't know but don't let them stop you from truly loving jesus it does take boldness and it does take courage to stand in the face of opposition and still do what god has called you to do But wherever you are and wherever you encounter those religious people who would say, hold on just a second, that doesn't quite fit into what we think you ought to be about. Expect that opposition. Don't don't, don't be afraid. Jesus faced it as well. And then don't let them stop you. Continue to do what God has called you to do. At home, at school, at work, in the community, here at church, wherever you may go, continue to do what God has called you to do. I, I wonder in closing... Which character in this story describes you? Are you the man with the paralyzed hand who says, I I need the healing and new life from Jesus Christ? You say, "I, I look at Jesus, I see the difference between Jesus and all these people who just talk about religion. I want him. Maybe today you'd say, I just want to stretch out my hand. Jesus, you take hold of me. I surrender and give you my life. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you say, you know what? I I see myself as as being like Jesus in this story. I know I've been sent by God, and and I'm going to stop at nothing to fulfill that mission, to fulfill his will for my life, and to reach those who are far from him. And you say, Lord, give me the strength. Lord, help me to endure. And, And maybe, unfortunately, you may look at yourself in the mirror spiritually this morning and say, no, I'm not like the man with a paralyzed hand, and I'm not like Jesus. But if I'm honest, I say, I'm really more like those Pharisees than anybody else in that story. I care more about rules and proper behavior and so on than I really do about loving God and loving people. And maybe you just say, Lord, I repent, and thank you for bringing it to my attention this morning. Please forgive me. 
I wonder how Jesus needs to annoy you today. How does he need to annoy our church and change us? I want you to bow your head if you would and and close your eyes for just a second. Before we sing, I want to I want to close with with a word of prayer. And I really would, I don't know if you're a praying person or not, but I really would appreciate if if every head were bowed and, and every set of eyes were closed just for a minute. If nothing more than out of respect for those who are sitting close to you. But I I wonder, as you look in that story, you say, I'm the one who needs to stretch out my paralyzed hand to the Lord. I need his healing. I need his new life and restoration. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and so all eyes will be closed, even mine. And maybe during my prayer, you'd simply stretch out your hand straight out in front of you to the Lord Jesus and say, heal me, restore me, make me new. Or maybe you look at yourself and you say, you know what, I... I got to be honest, I'm a little bit like those Pharisees. I need to surrender to the will of God. And during the prayer in just a second, with no one looking around, you'd simply raise both hands as a sign of surrender, just like you would if someone said, stick them up. So maybe during the prayer, you stretch your hand out in front of you. Lord, heal me, restore me, or put both hands in the air. Lord, I surrender. I repent, and I turn to you. With nobody looking around, let me pray for us. You stretch your hands out the way God has called you this morning. Our Heavenly Father, with our hands outstretched or raised high, Lord, this morning we ask you for healing and for restoration. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love, your compassion, even on people like us who desperately need it. So, Lord, we stretch our hands out to you today and we say, heal us and make us new. Lord, we raise our hands and surrender to you and we say, Lord, we give it all to you, all of our lives. We give our work and our school and our homes and our church all to you. And we say, elevate yourself in and through us for your glory and for that alone. Lord, annoy us and provoke us, if need be, to get us to surrender to you. So, Lord, we stretch our hands out. We raise our hands, asking for your healing and recognizing our need for submission. We pray, Lord, that as we continue and close in song, that you would seal in our hearts what you have taught us this morning that it would be continued, not just this afternoon, but, Lord, this week and the rest of this month and the rest of this year. We thank you. We give you praise and glory, for you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.